0: Please note, this episode references mental health issues. See show notes for helpful links. Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The and The Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. It's a
1: little, it actually just says recording in red right at the bottom. Awesomeness.
0: All these things that we didn't need to do when we were in real life, but yeah. hey, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, not mad yeah. about it. I'm, I'm delighted that I've got this opportunity to speak to so many interesting people I know. and I am thrilled to be chatting to artist writer and creative director boo patterson hello for anyone who's listening if you've been an avid fan of the podcast for a while you will have listened to a a brilliant conversation i had with Hilary goodfellow uh, when we were talking about the c award and at the time she was like you need to check out my pal boo she's amazing and i was like right great like i love a recommendation so i'd liked your instagram and then just recently your stuff started to pop up in my feed and i was like oh wait a minute Why have we not made this a thing? Like, why? I need to meet Boo. So, Boo, you are so talented. Oh, you. (laughs) You are. Like, I'm just so impressed with everything you do. Like, and I was trying to think, like, how are we going to get into this? There's so many things. But I went onto your website and I was, you know, it's beautiful and it's amazing all the things you've done. And I was reading everything, watching some video clips and stuff. But three words stood out for me. And I, I guess they stand out for you. And that was art, words, and ideas.
1: Yeah. I guess I boiled it down to that when I had a good think about redoing my website because I work through a, a lot of professions and so it's it isn't just our illustration and creative direction it's also I'm uh, you know an event producer I run cabaret and burlesque clubs I'm a circus ringmaster I'm a production coordinator I've worked in film as a camera assistant you know I've worked as a labourer, I'm qualified to fight fires offshore. I, I mean, I do lots and lots of different things. But when people would say, "Oh God, you've done so much," you've, you know, you're uh, you've got kind of a, a finger in every pie. I always say, actually, they all feel like the same thing to me. Uh, I'm also a publicist, so so to me, publicity and journalism are two sides of the same coin, and they're also super creative. So I don't really see a difference between them. I don't see really see a difference between illustration and art. Those are the same things. And equally, if you're producing a, a cabaret show, you use the same skills that you would use in art and illustration and journalism and PR to create those things. Um, so I, I, I suppose art words Ideas was the three concepts I could boil it down to. But also, I... I didn't want to be super specific because I say yes to things, so I might someone might come up with an idea that I've never done before, and I want to be able to say yes, and at least that could come under one of the three headings I love this
0: because <laughs> as someone who has dabbled and also totally immersed herself in quite a number of things over the years, I personally sometimes grapple with that idea of like oh some folk might think she doesn't know what to be up to like oh what's she up to this month or oh oh, you're doing that now whereas actually I'm quite happy tapping into lots of different things Mm. but it's always that like comparison thing like if somebody says you know what do you do and somebody can just nail it in one word oh I'm a dentist or a doctor which is amazing if that's what your passion is but the fact that you have like totally just went for all of the things that you're interested in. You've just seen something, went, that's for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I think that's absolutely wonderful. Have you always been like that? You know, grown up as a young person, were you just somebody who liked to Yeah,
1: track I did I'm like you, I'm interested in people and creativity. And I suppose those are the kind of twin lighthouses that I kind of sail towards. <laughs> um but I guess I I I never want to be restricted. I mean, when I was, I worked in national newspapers for a long time and I would have, I I always kind of think as my trade as journalism still. And I still do work for the BBC occasionally. I still consider myself a journalist, but other people see me as an artist because that's predominantly what I do now. I, I'm, I'm whatever I need to be in a specific moment. I've got a lot of skills and uh, they call it a portfolio career, darling. So you don't You know, what, a I've, actually, I've, I've
0: actually that. written that down. I put portfolio slash multi it.
1: Well, they also <laughs> call it re- a Renaissance woman because in the Renaissance, of course, you did everything as well. They didn't see, in, during the Renaissance in Italy, they didn't see barriers between art and science. And, you know, Leonardo da Vinci yeah. did uh, multiple things. They they didn't have these restrictive working for the man kind of yes. things, mm. and so yeah, I I guess I don't know any other way to work. I mean, I have worked for the man, and I found it quite depressing. Uh, I find it really restrictive. So that was why I ended up producing cabaret and burlesque shows, and I also during the time I was working for national newspapers, I also uh, was a music manager because I was so insanely bored just doing, it wasn't a nine to five, it was like a two till 12 job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was so bored by it, I needed the excitement of creativity. Although, you know, editing is a creative job, but the actual atmosphere of the kind of hierarchy in newspapers specifically, but, but actually just offices in general, they're very patriarchal, they're very strict, they don't encourage creativity. And I just, I, I needed an outlet for that. Without consciously doing it, I just kind of yeah. gravitated towards people who were like me. I always hung around with musicians anyway. And uh, so I just, I, I, I never, I've never specifically gone and thought, oh my God, I must make a burlesque show. I, I, I just, I would be interested in something. I'd meet some people and then we'd be in the pub and go, hey, why don't we do a show? Yes. So so these things have always happened organically. I don't really plan anything. And and this is funny because a few people of mine who've got kids now and they're kind of teenagers and they're like, oh, you know, she doesn't know what she wants to do and I'm really worried because she doesn't have a career. And I'm like, who does have a career now? Like, it's, so you know, true. it's it's quite rare unless you are a lawyer or a doctor kind mm-hmm. of career for life. Even if you do work in an office, you're probably not going to be there forever because, you know, yeah. the world being what it is, you're probably going to be replaced by a machine at some point. So lots of careers are now getting obsolete. Lots of people are having to do side gigs. Um, and they're, they're just having to, even if they're in the kind of, I don't know, tech sector, they're not even particularly creative, they've still got to think of ways to, use, to have transferable skills. So that's I, I work with my hands and I, I've always been able to kind of turn my hand to anything apart from maths i'm not very good at that
0: me neither <laughs> me neither uh but i'm like actually my face is sore for smiling at you cuz like i just feel like i've, I've connected massively at, with everything you've said like i'm like yeah somebody else like gets it yeah. but um, but that's the thing the joy of this podcast is that i'm realizing that so many people have arrived at their passions through so many different avenues and it's like that no wrong path which you know was the kind yeah. of hashtag this year for young people you know thinking about their careers I'm like that, it, that's right you know it's amazing if you're driven and you've got an idea of what you want to do and it's that you know whether it's that academic p- pathway I've put that in com- vertical commas academic whatever that means but but also that it's, you don't need to necessarily have it figured out when you're whatever age is, you start no, and, your
1: options. And, you know, you have multiple lives in life. I mean, yes. I, it's funny, my friend Sandy, who's a brilliant musician and songwriter, he's in his 70s now, and he said to me, when I first went to New York, uh, I, I was a music manager, and my, um, I you know, was determined to break my singer over there, and uh, I failed. Miserably. I was actually starving, properly starving. Wow. Uh, I ran out of money. I, it was utter misery. And I wrote to Sandy saying, you know, I failed. And I don't know what to do and I haven't got any money really to fly back. And I'm literally starving. I'm living off like one pizza slice a day. And um, Sandy said, you know, I, I'm 70. I still don't know what the hell I'm doing. He said, when you're 20, you think you know it, and you don't. And he said, then you get to be 30, you think you know it, and you still don't. And he said, you know, I still don't know what the hell's going on. He said, I've just, you know, I'm a, I'm a musician that no one's really heard of, and yet suddenly now I'm playing at Celtic Connections at the main concert hall, and who knew that this would happen to me? Uh-huh. And he said, the thing is with life is that things can always change any second now. So as long as you're, even if you're in the river of life and you're standing still, the river is still flowing around you. The river never stops flowing. So even if you stand still, something will happen. But you can swim down the river and see what there is. You could be active, or if you're passive, you can just stand. But something will still come by you. So I'm not fatalistic in the sense that what's for you won't go by you. I don't really believe that. But I do think that, you know, life isn't about doing things for other people. It's it, it's not about working in an office to earn money to do that, because that's not an experience. I think it's more about getting money to live your life. And so I, I guess the reason I've had this kind of peripatetic career is just that after I stopped, you know, working in journalistic offices, because I found them so stressful. Mm. I just thought, I can't go back to that life. Like, I, I actually, the turning point came. Uh, the last newspaper I worked for, I was getting bullied so much, I developed a heart condition. They eventually paid me off. I went to the doctor, and it was this, uh, it was a locum he had never seen before, a guy in his early 60s, and he was Dutch. And he said to me, I don't care how much they're paying you, but it's not worth a heart condition at 36. He said, if you worked in a bar, I think you'd find that you wouldn't have a heart condition. And, and actually that when, whenever I feel like I'm about to make the wrong decision, uh, you know, f- something feels so, a bit uncomfortable for me. And I've got kind mm-hmm. of you always know there's always a red flag inside you going, I, "This does don't <laughs> feel right. S- so you, if, when you get the red flag, always just think of that guy it's not worth a heart condition at whatever age. And I I thought, what am I going to do? Because I've got this huge wage that I was earning by then and I had a mortgage associated with the huge wage and Mm -hmm. I just had to give it up. I just had to feel the fear and do it anyway. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, I I have been incredibly hungry in periods, but I'm still here. I got by, you know, and that's the thing. You always... Do you still get by, like even if you go through hard times, and and still the hard times are informative to you as a person because they allow you to be more em- empathetic to other people. So even the bad situation it not really a waste. You you can feed yeah. it back into your life and help other people with with it, and that's what I've done with the book. Actually, I was going through. I have severe depression, and I was going through another depression after you know another. Bleak time, and and I thought, Yod, you, you've got all this information from like twenty three years of therapy, or about twenty years at that point. Like, just use the information that you've got, and uh, you know, make a first aid kit for your brain. So that's why I created first art kit because I wanted, you know, when I had the idea, I thought, you know, I'm a vintage person, so I wanted it to look like a vintage first aid kit. Yes. And so I thought, oh, wouldn't that be great if you could just like look up, you know, insomnia or self-esteem and just like whatever, you know, terrible thing was happening that day. Yep. And then find out what you, act, you could actually do that day, that moment. And then the craft that is associated with it, not only kind of calms you down, gives you a sense of mastery, you know, has all these improving things mm. that have been, you know, actually studied and shown that art does do that to you. But the, but it's actual, just proper advice that I was given. And I thought, you know, you're really not using the tools that you already have. So that's why I made it. I know the
0: joy of being in spaces with people in and- mm in holding space for people to be creative because I really believe everybody has, you know, the ability to be creative. And like you're saying, you, you can be creative in journalism. You can be creative if you work behind a bar. You can mm-hmm. be creative. It doesn't matter what you, you do, but it's, it's like harnessing those ideas that you've gotten and bringing them to life, whether it's like a tangible item that you're going mm-hmm. to create or, you know, it's a piece of dance or a piece of music. And you'll have known the joy of all those experiences, all those things you've said yes to in your past. Where it's pure magic when that creativity is like fueling, and just to say to somebody
1: like this can be
0: part of your life. You get to make something, and you might feel better doing it. In fact, you well, will. And also, you will feel
1: better. Th- these these experiences, like you know, my my shrink's never tired of telling me that you know it's normal to have a range of emotions. That this mm-hmm. concept of like how to be happy, like you must be happy permanently all the time, or else you're some sort of failure. It's just that's just capitalism. That's got nothing to do with anything. Human beings have a range of emotions, and that is normal. It's not normal to stay in low mood for long periods of time. Uh, that's you know something has cl- happened for you to have that. In my case, I had multiple traumas, so so obviously that kind of repeats until you deal with it. But but things like insomnia, you know, they tend to be caused by stress. I think they can ultimately these things. Once you look back on them, they're obviously awful to go through in the moment, but they can be used as springboards to positive things. And I guess I hope that's what the book does, because it gives you a way to deal with the actual problem with you know, modern day actual advice from shrinks. And also, if you do the crafts, like maybe you are one of these people say, I'm bad at art, I can't, mm. you know, I can't do art, because you've been told as a child that you're terrible at it but but with this i've made it so easy for people that people who just literally have hands can do these crafts and you know there are more complex ones and there are easier ones but even if you are one of the lucky people that doesn't have anything wrong with them and you've just had a delightful childhood and an yeah. excellent adulthood then you can just enjoy doing various different crafts in them in the book because it's it's enjoyable
0: it's lovely because it's giving people the permission because like you say, sometimes that idea of like, oh, I'm not arty, like I can't mm. I can't draw or I can't paint. And it's like, no, 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 like there's no right way of doing it. No, but You're just giving I'm, people a bit of a permission, like with here's a book like, and I'm going to like, it's almost like holding people's hand, like a first aid kit, like this yeah. is
1: helpful. All humans are born creative. And it's like that quote from Picasso, that all children are artists. It's like, as they grow up, they're told That they're not but but no child looks at some paints and goes I can't do that they they stick their hand in the paint (laughs) yes so so it's it's more that um we're told as we grow up that some things have value and some things don't and you can even see it with the government now how it's treating the arts arts are seen as not important so they're now investing in stem because now STEM is the big thing. After they've ignored it for years, they're going, Oh well, let's invest in that because clearly the NHS is knackered and clearly we've got to inv- we, we need more workers in that area. We need we need capitalism to function. So but they see the arts as having no value when in fact it's like sixty billion a year or even more. I can't remember the figure, but it's yeah. it's 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 more certainly more than fishing. And they, they spent a lot of effort on fishing.
0: And in the last year, I think we've all realised how important the arts are when they've been much of it has been taken away from us. And the stuff that we can access, like your Netflix, like your Amazon Prime or whatever, that's the arts.
1: But isn't that funny? A lot of people don't think that that is the arts because they see that as TV. They don't make the, the, the connection that not only you know, are the actors artists, but so are the directors, so are the runners, so are everybody yeah, the involved crew. In I have, Of course. Uh, the, the graphic designers, the illustrators, the people that present it—it it employs hundreds, uh, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, but it's seen the arts still. If you have an arts degree, which I don't, uh, you're you're seen. It's seen as a bit of a waste, and that how are you going to get a job doing that? And in fact, that's what I was told as a child. I was a, a credibly creative child, and I won the ducks at, at art uh, at school, and. My art teacher thought I would go to art college. Everyone thought I would go to art college. And then uh, the careers thing, they said, oh, well, you'll never get a job doing art. I mean, there are no jobs in art. Like you just, their idea of art was you're a painter and you earn nothing. They didn't mention, I didn't actually realise that illustration was a profession until like my 30s. I obviously, some in some subconscious level, obviously knew that they were illustrators. But ah. I thought those people just must be doing it it is like a part-time job. Because I it was so ingrained in me that there are no jobs outside being a painter, like a professional gallery shown mm-hmm. painter. Well, not only do I show my work in galleries, but I'm an illustrator and there are multiple ways to use art. Just visual art alone, not even That's counting true. what you do with the dancing and performance and you know, even art, the, the visual uh, qualities you need as an artist I, or even I even used those when I was producing burlesque uh, you know because you've got to have you've got to create an atmosphere and it's same in the circus you know people have to feel like they're in a magical world, and that is predominantly visual uh-huh. so if you don't have the sense of drama and and beauty and uh, novelty, then how can you make people feel that so I guess. I, what I, I really want to do, not just with this book, but, but in general, is make people realise that no one's bad at art, that everyone can have a go at it. And, and maybe you only, I don't know, did, you've only had a go at paints and it was like 30 years ago. Well, there, there's sculpture, there's drawing, there's like paper cutting or paper sculpture. Yes. There's There's just... Or, you know, dance. There's, there's just so many ways to be creative. Um, you don't have to just be good at drawing. You can't get it wrong because it's your You case. can't get it wrong. And also, no one's going to come along and judge you. Like, that's the other yeah. thing. If you want to, like me, put yourself forward for competitions and things because you're professional, that's a different thing. Mm. That's a professional act. But if you are, you know... The, the actual joy is in the doing. It doesn't have to even be a good result. So you know, true. no one says to little kids when they, like, do a scroll, you know, oh, that's terrible, not putting that in the fridge. <laughs> like <laughs> Maybe some of them do, actually, but, but you shouldn't. You should be saying everything yeah. you do, you should go, isn't that amazing? Look, you did that. Of course. But, but it's
0: so funny, like, working in schools with young people, quite often, you know, when you, you, you set a task or whatever to create some movement, there is that kind of you know, constantly looking back at you going, is this right? Am I doing this right? And I'm like, you can't do it wrong. Like whatever mm-hmm. you create is great because it's your idea and you've brought it to life. And as long as you're happy with it, then it's a success. It's like some some answers are just right or wrong. And I get it. Like in life not everything's gonna be the same. Some you know, the, sometimes it is it's the maths thing, which that's why I'm not gonna I'm like, I don't like that there's just one answer. No. <laughs> but you know, I get it, but when it comes to the arts quite often you'll see young people just holding themselves back because they think that they're in some way shape or form they can get this wrong and yeah
1: worries me but isn't that why the arts are so important Ah. even to do as a profession because how else can you show people that there's not one answer that there are multiple choices
0: and you can say yes to things and things will happen
1: well, there's that, that quote that's misattributed to Churchill. So I don't know who said it, but I, I really like it anyway, which is um, apparently someone said to him during the Second World War, he'd, he'd moved all the great art treasures into, I think, a salt mine somewhere in Wales. Uh, and it cost a lot of money to move them out of London. And uh, someone said to him, what are you doing that for? Why are you spending all that money to move bloody art? And he said, if not art, then what are we fighting for? What are we fighting for if not art? Because everything else is pedestrian by comparison. Like, even the people that create, I don't know, video games and things, that's a form of creative expression. People okay. think it's tech, but actually it's art. So I, I think it's the highest form of civilization, not the lowest. Like, I, I don't, it's just that in our capitalist society, people have. And by people, I mean governments and large employers have made us feel that it's not worthwhile. And it's become a kind of common infection that that if you don't also believe that suddenly you're against the status quo so many of us in the arts and you know
0: obviously we've been sitting patiently waiting at home and a lot of people have had to make a decision to take on other work that's maybe not wouldn't be their first choice and it's that you know holding on to what you do is important what you do sparks joy to yourself and uh, and other people mm. and like you're saying there's been times where you've been struggling you've been hungry mm. but you've
1: kept on you, you, you obviously the belief in what you do well, it's also it. nothing. It's nothing else I can do. It's it, it's not even a, a belief because I think that can people can misconstrue that in a kind of you know pop idol pop idol kind of I just believed in it enough and I became a pop idol. <laughs> you know, it's to me it's not about that because I I don't think I'll ever be on that kind of ridiculous kind of superstar level. But I to me it's just it's the only thing I want to do. It's the only thing I. That, that kind of fills my soul. So I guess I'm, I'm just not going to work in an office. I kind of said that to myself, I'm, I'm never working in an office again.
0: You've got, you've got that, that past, like, I'm not doing that again, because remember what happened the last time?
1: <laughs> I think I should have said it a long time before that, though. I kind of look back on that and think, you know, I, I tolerated that kind of toxic atmosphere for a lot longer than I should have and so now with all this kind of knowledge of well psychology as as it was enacted to me because i'm not a psychologist but my i have a lot of experience of being treated so i i hope that that comes through in the book to help people how cool is it to actually have like made a book it's it's funny because well it was the launch day for Yesterday for the US, and uh, it's the thing is, I came up with this idea in 2017. Really? Yeah. So, so any author has sat with a book; they've not just sat with it. They have reread it and edited it about 25 times by the time it comes out. So you're kind of sick of it by the time, and nothing ever happens on launch day. When my first uh, book came out uh, in 2017. I uh, I thought there would be this, it would be like I don't know something would happen on launch day, or that people would be excited and maybe phone you, like you'd had a baby or something. Yeah, but no one gives a toss. That's the truth. No, no one phones you. <sighs> Some people like your Instagram posts, but it's not a thing. I think people who are not in publishing don't see it as a big thing. They just think, oh, a book came out, but she's been talking about that for ages. So no. Yeah, and then and then the there's no kind of celebration from publishers or anything because you've basically been arguing with them for a year, <laughs> so it's not like this big parade hooray, with the book is finally no, out. No,
0: that's not good enough, boo. You need one of those Asda cakes where your picture of it's, your book. <laughs>
1: It's just not, it's just not, it's not a thing. And in fact, I know other authors and they they all said the same thing when my first book came out. I went, I feel so depressed. It's just, nothing's happened. So, So it's not like, hooray, fantastic, everyone's celebrating.
0: But what might be very fantastic, which I'm sure you're more interested in, is the feedback that you're going to get from people who actually buy the book and then use it and then speak the benefits of being creative. That's where you're like, well, that's really why I made
1: this. Yes, I I feel that is really why I made it. And I, I guess initially I made it for myself. So so I can still use it as reference. You can. Which is <laughs> helpful.
0: And I love that, like the, the aesthetic of it, like the first aid kit. And then obviously I was, when I rediscovered your Instagram, because obviously I'd followed you a while back, and then the videos started to come up. So I've not got TikTok, but you, you'd obviously reposted some of your videos mm. and your art nurse videos. And I was like, oh, wait a
1: minute. Who is this wonderful human? Art nurse came about because... I hadn't actually signed the deal with Simon and Schuster but I I I w- we were having meetings when I was back in New York and they um I I'm a vintage person as I said but we I but I went to this shop as I was texting my agent going uh, when when's the meeting you know, mm. and so waiting for a reply and I went into the shop and there was this vintage nurses out- outfit well just the dress it was seven bucks. And I went, oh. Well I, I said text her saying, Should I get this dress? Because I think it'd be quite good to promote promote the book. She didn't reply, and that always means either I don't care or no. So so I just went, <laughs> I'm just gonna get it because it's seven bucks and right. I can always sell it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I bought this slightly oversized dress and then didn't really think anything of it again. And it was My agent that actually told me to do TikTok because um, that is the place to be, apparently. So I just thought, okay, well, she's told me to do it. I'll just do it. I'll take her, you know, bow to her superior knowledge. So I thought, well, what is my thing going to be? And initially, my first one, I just, I thought I was just going to do like how-to kind of comedy videos and uh, silent films. Because I also love silent films. And I thought, well, I've grown up with Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton. So you know i i've got plenty of moves yes. so so the first one i did was like how to cut paper and i tried to do it with a size
0: i love that you have that and and you i was like she's not borrowed that but she actually owns that
1: i i basically i skip rate that size and uh, so i did that and at that point only my cousin was following me so it was just like well this is going to take a long time to you know <laughs> This is, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And within about three days, I had 1.3 million hits on that video. What? I said, oh, it looks like you were right. <laughs> Thank God Agents. I want that dress. <laughs> well, so, so then, after I'd done a couple of just vintage clothes, I thought, you know what, I need, I, I'd like to ha- have a character, more mm. of a character rather than just me. So I made the nurse's hat out of paper. Naturally enough, and I got a, a red nurse's belt, and that is what that looks like. So, I basically the same sort of thing. It's advice. It's a, it's art. It's kind of art and mental health advice, but done in a silent film styley. It's so clever,
0: and you know the thing about folk will say, "Oh, like TikTok or folk just doing on there doing no. dances and stuff." And I'm like, "It's so creative! It's such mm. a an effective way to get messages across, mm. and like just you know, it, it's, everything's got to have that hook these days. Like someone's mm. going to pull you in, and just the visual alone that like, you're looking amazing in that outfit, you're like, "I want to know! I want to know what this is! I want to watch yeah. it! I want to share it! It's it's amazing!" But then when you do watch it, it's got it's got value. Is what you're saying is really important. Like loads of the messages you've said on your, your videos, I'm like, yes, like
1: share. It's so powerful. Well, I wanted to I wanted to use humour to draw people in. I, I also wanted them to just be single concepts. So not too much in one video. And also they're they're never more than forty-five seconds long. But but I was really surprised at TikTok, because like everyone, I thought it was just dance videos of teenagers, And in fact, I follow, I think the oldest person I follow is like a 101-year-old Holocaust survivor. And she talks wow. about what her life lessons are and about remaining positive when you've been through a horrific experience. Uh, but there are, there are so many brilliant people, like lots of, I, I mean, I'm in the woodwork, so I follow lots of woodworking people. There's brilliant trans people on there who just talk about what it's like. You know people ge- are, are, seem very genuine, or at least the ones I follow. you know I'm sure if you're an absolute dooda, then you <laughs> are gonna fo- you're gonna get doodas in your feed but that's it's curating totally your nice feed people. in it as well yeah. that's
0: it's creating the, the stuff that you want to see stuff that brings you joy stuff that informs you you know and to be fair as much as I'll say sometimes oh I'm on Instagram too much it has been a lifeline in terms of keeping this podcast alive like you know, I discovered you on Instagram and we connected that way and then you know we're able to to make this happen so I think social media is really powerful and as long as you're filling your feed with loads of stuff that does spark joy and doesn't make you feel bad about yourself then it's a really
1: great tool. It really is. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've met people on in Instagram in real life now, uh, Have even you? on the other side of the world. Yeah, it was <laughs> the last one was quite, actually quite funny. Uh, this I am a, a, a well, obviously, used to be a jazz manager, and so I'm into jazz. Obviously, I wouldn't be able mm. to do that job. So when I was back in New York in 2019, I was going to this kind of open air film showing, and I passed this brilliant kind of hot jazz band out in the street and I was smiling as I went past and this guy shouted Boo Patterson (laughs) and I was like what (laughs) and this guy ran after me and I went oh my god you follow me on Instagram yes (laughs) American man I've never met before So, so that was that was kind of bonkers and but we it was funny because I follow him because we all have the same jazz friends in New York but we have just we had just not met up to that point. But it was really quite random. At the foot of the Manhattan Bridge, this jazz band and <laughs> this random guy ended up Gosh. chatting to him for, for hours. So that is so cool. It is really cool. And, you know, other people I've met. And it, it's just, um, if you can translate it to the real world, it, I, I think it has a, really a lot of value. 100%. In terms of, like, so
0: it sounds like you've spent quite a lot of time in New York as
1: well. So I, at the moment, are you in Glasgow? Am I speaking to you? No, I am in Fife, but I'm about to move back to New York because I only came back to renew my visa at the end of 2019. And then right. I, it was approved two days before lockdown. So I've basically been stranded here for 18 months. So I, I need to go back to my life. Okay. And, and I'm, just, I'm just waiting for Biden to reopen embassies so that I can leave. Wowzers. And yeah. So
0: initially, like, you, were, you were taken to New York because of your work in music. music manager, right? you, yeah.
1: So, yeah. So basically, well, here's another job I had. I, I was working undercover for a professional gambler. That is like a sound
0: bite in itself.
1: Drops mic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did that. It was horrendous. But it was the only way I could pay my mortgage during the 2008 crash. Totally wiped out my business. Wiped out my burlesque club, just wiped out everything. And I had to get the NUJ to pay my mortgage in the January. And then uh, my mate, who is a sports editor, he said, I've got a mate I went to school with who is like a pro gambler, but he's obviously barred from betting shops because he wins too much. Now, it's not illegal to put bets on for someone else, so I wasn't breaking the law, but there's a policy of my ball, my game. If they find out that you are gambling for someone, you've got insider knowledge, basically, they'll just bar you. And then that would be my income taken away. So I would sit in a cafe on Rose Street and I would have my... I, I wore combat trousers, so I could put £100 rolls of about 2000 quid in each leg. And so I would then get a text from my gambler and I would... Write the chit very quickly, but then I had to leave all my stuff behind in the cafe and like sprint to either betting shop because that's where you make your money. They they bet on the same people as everyone else, the same horses as everyone else. It's just that they catch the odds before they drop. But that profession is called a putter honor. There are actually <laughs> lots of us. I found out. A putter honor. A, a putter honor because you put on the bets. So I would have. Taken out the amount of money for the bet, and I would place the bet. And you go in in the morning, and the safe is on a timer, so you have to wait for the safe to open. And then I would get house bricks of cash pushed across the counter at me. So I, some days I was carrying like 15 grand in my trouser pockets, and there's a big risk of being mugged, obviously. Yeah, of course. So people can't find out what you're doing. But on the other hand, no women bet. There are literally no women in betting shops apart from cashiers occasionally. So I, being nearly six foot and a blonde woman, <laughs> attracted quite a lot of attention, even though I was in my scraggiest clothes possible. So what I would do is I had this backstory. Like my granddad, he's got nothing to live for since died. So I do this for him, put on the betstrom, because he has his legs amputated and, so, and he's had a stroke. So I got on one of those phones with the giant buttons. So I just get the text from because he can't speak properly since the stroke. So I take the bets. And like, if you weren't going to do it for love, what did you do it for? Like, I just I have to do this for my granddad. I'm actually a journalist, but I'm, I'm just doing this thing. And they were like the cashiers because they ask you, like, what, basically, what are you doing here? And the truth is, like, my granddad was an amputee and he did have a stroke. Only he died in 1986. So I couldn't take bets off him. No matter how big the button's on his phone. Yes. Is. <laughs> but anyway, I was getting granddad to, to text me bets. So you get known, because I would win a lot, you get, get called a hot face. And that's nothing to do with attractiveness, unfortunately. Ooh. It's to do with like £50 pounds from me is worth more than 1000 quid from some Joe punter because I, they know that I'm likely to win. So I affect the betting. The bets were never that big. There was just a lot of them. So mm-hmm. I'd maybe I'd maybe do 35 bets in four hours between the two shops. Jeez, all right. And so you're running out of a cafe 35 times. I mean, you know, you're not to let the cafe know. And of course, they were really suspicious. I would get waitresses sitting next to me trying to see what I was doing and ended up just really stressing me out. I I've eventually found another cafe that was a thousand yards further to run but it was better than being kind of monitored.
0: I mean, it makes for like an amazing story, but at the time, are you like, what is my life?
1: It's incredibly stressful. It's like pure survival mode. You know, I I couldn't pay this giant mortgage, the economy was like flat you literally couldn't get a job I mean I can touch type and I couldn't get a temp job because all the banks had been laid off and everyone who was a blue collar worker flooded the agencies you couldn't get a job couldn't get a job in a supermarket you had to have a degree to get a job in a supermarket so like this was really all I had and it was it wasn't enough money I was still running up huge amounts on credit cards just to live off in the moment I, I had these awful kind of Uh, anxiety dreams on on Rose Street there are are two people don't really notice them but there are two roses, there's a white rose at one end and a black rose at the other end and um, they're made out of pebbles they're really beautiful but they're just kind of set into the the cobbles and um, I used to have this anxiety dream that the black rose felled me and and I fell forward and my teeth smashed uh, and I had to get back to the cafe to get all my stuff, my keys from my house and my stuff. And and people were like, oh, we've got to get to the hospital. And I was like, I can't, I've got to go <laughs> with no teeth. And so I'd suddenly wake up with this fear that, you know, falling had that I dream all the time. And then the last day, I remember I decided to go with my singer to New York and just run away, just take out 20 grand on credit cards and just leave because I couldn't live like this anymore. And I phoned up my gambler. And I said, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And he said, I wouldn't take that bet in a million years. Always listen to the professionals is the moral to that story, because it was too big a risk. And actually, he was right. Mm-hmm. But if you didn't take risk, he wouldn't do anything. So I don't I don't regret. I mean, I said to myself at the time, are you going to regret taking out 20 grand on MasterCard when you're lying on your deathbed? The answer is no. And I paid it back. And I, the thing is, I owned a house, so I had an asset with which I could pay it back eventually. So yeah, it, I I I ran away to New York and starved there instead. But we had great nights out. I had a maze out. We had, you know, we were performing in the best clubs in the world and meeting the best people. And it, it just became my real home. And that's why I, I kind of never really left. I, I just... I would just get, uh, eventually, you know, when I stopped being a manager, I got, I just got one uh, visa as an artist. I have, I have a whole other life there, you see, I have all my friends and all my stuff. I've got a whole other wardrobe, a whole other supply of art stuff. I have, you know, another life. I've got another tailor. I've got, you know, just everybody there that supports me is sorely missed, I have to say. You know, lockdown hasn't just been. Oh God, isn't it terrible? You can't go out and meet people. It's it's been more. I, I'm actually really far away from all the things that I love. I have some friends here, but the the majority of them are there. Yeah. So, and and actually, all the opportunity is there as well. It's it's for someone like me. Uh, if you're you need input, then you know Fife is not the place for that. saw's so Fife. But Scotland in general, it's quite an insular place. In fact, Britain in general is a cliquey, insular place. And so when I first went to New York, I couldn't believe how many people were willing to help me for nothing who would refer me to people, you know, within... We'd been there two weeks and we met this guy at a party. He said he was a photographer. And he was like, oh, I've just got this new kit. Could I uh, shoot your video? Because I'm uh, trying out some new kit. And we just thought, well, he must be some sort of student guy. You know, OK. You know, in for a penny. Uh-huh. Turns out he was the celebrity photographer, Mark Mann, who shot Obama slash yeah. Stevie Wonder. Everybody famous. He paid for the hair, makeup, lights, everything. I drove his classic Mercedes around <laughs> New York for like five hours on Friday night. So he could shoot through the car while my singer was in the back. And he was on a motorbike next to us. <laughs> but it was just, it was like, who, who does that? Like, I could I could live in Scotland for a thousand years and no one would offer to do that for me. It's kindnesses like that, that you get there because the, everyone who lives there knows how hard it is. It so,
0: does make me sad, though, that you've not had that experience in Scotland. No, because, never. Because I have. And I think yeah. building this podcast and the people that have been so, like yourself, so absolutely blessed. And I totally mean that, to to, to sit down for an hour or whatever it is to, and have conversations. Like, yeah, I, I guess I'm curating my wee clan of, like, you know, the mm. that, and, um, and I'm so thrilled you're part of this clan. I really am. Like, just speaking to you now, I just think you're just so genuine, Boo. Like, you you're telling your story and I'm like, you need to start a podcast just so you can tell everybody all these amazing stories. There's not enough time to, like even delve remotely deep into what you've achieved and what you've done. But it is it is actually your life. Like, as much as it sounds really exciting and there's loads of, you know, all these cool stories, like you're saying, it's a lived experience. There's been highs, there's been really low lows. It, They're it's only a cool life. in
1: retrospect. Of course. Generally, it's, it's incredibly, or it has been up until now, very hard. But yeah. it's, you know, um, nothing worth having comes easy, I think. You come across as somebody who's dead brave because oh, you
0: say yes funny. to things and you have been extremely honest with the things that you've told me so far and you know you're sharing your experience with people and saying how hard it's been it's not it, it's not all highlights real it's no definitely
1: not as much as it's been
0: exciting you know you're because like because uh, Hillary m- messaged me saying make sure you ask her about the circus
1: yeah <laughs> the circus it, it, it's funny because uh, it kind of typifies a lot of things I've done in life which seem to have involved running away. And I think that was because I have had a traumatic childhood and a lot of trauma. So, like, running away is appealing to me as a concept generally. And and also because my family were just horrendous, I had nothing, I never had anything to lose. I think if you have security and, you know lovely parents and and all that sort of thing you you don't want to ever leave the security because you feel cared for whereas I found that from the New Yorkers I I didn't find that family until I got there and so here um it just feels tremendously unsupportive Mm. And, and I guess if you are I'm not saying that everyone that feels unsupportive should move to New York although it isn't a bad idea just from personal experience, Uh, I had no option. But I I mean, you say brave, but to me, it doesn't feel brave. I remember one of my shrinks saying something similar. And I said, I can't, she's called me strong. And I said, I can't, I can't take that because it doesn't feel true to me. And she said, well, what about resilient? And I said, I can take that. But I can't take strong because to me, strength means somebody that's sorted, that's like, you know, psychologically at ease, you know, and I just did not feel like that person. But resilient, yes, I definitely have an ability to endure. Anyone in the arts, especially freelancers, they have to be resilient because the amount of rejection you get involves a degree of resilience or you have to give (laughs) up. The rejection just from going to auditions, but also the rejection of your ideas, of your... Uh, not just being able to get any job, of just trying to function on no money, of, of getting grants rejected. You know, all these things feed into a general atmosphere of quote unquote failure. Mm. But to even, I'm sorry, but even to survive in life is a triumph. It's funny, I had, I know this old lady in the kind of a neighbor who has known me since I was born. And uh, she said to me, about you know, because she knows I'm going to New York soon. Yeah. I says, Oh, who cares if you don't make it? You can always come back. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know you meant that kindly. But that whole what if you don't make it thing is exactly why I'm leaving Scotland. Mm-hmm. Because what, what is making it? What is that? <laughs> I, I, I well, what I said to her was actually I'm alive. And there were a lot of times when I wasn't going to be. So it was like the mere fact I am living is a success this whole idea of this concept of success is like money and
0: it's like when i'll be happy when i'll be happy when and it's like that doesn't exist because you'll just then look for the
1: next thing (laughs) to build a whole. yeah i mean i try i i kind of uh, i'm not very good at the whole thing of like living in the moment and then you know uh, that's a big thing with um Certain types of mindfulness, which I don't do, I actually do transcendental meditation, which completely stops me having anxiety. You don't have a guided thought; you you just allow your brain to be as it is, and you repeat this mantra in your head. But yeah, the, this whole idea of like you know you live in the moment. I'm actually not very good at that. But what I do believe is that the, the, the success isn't measured in how many pounds you have in the bank when you die. A life well lived to me is how many experiences you got to have, how many people you loved, how good a friend you were, if you made a difference, if you didn't destroy the planet. you know. Uh, so my f- elderly friend's idea of success is, I think, very... Uh, she comes from the early 20th century, so <laughs> that's why it's from the early 20th century. It, it's no longer applicable. Some people live those kind of lives still, but a lot of people especially after the pandemic where people are gonna work from home now and realise that actually I do want to spend more time with my family or I do want to have time not on the commute, you know, and so that I can write a book or I can, I don't know, just go for a walk or yeah. anything and that being that improves productive their life. all
0: the time that, that kind of like or, you know, being busy is like glamorized
1: capitalism. Like, uh-huh. It's like, you know, we go to school to learn capitalism. You know, the reason that in schools, why investment advice is not taught in schools is because we don't want the workers finding out you can make money for nothing by investing. We just want them to put money in savings account where it's like 0.3% and they'll never, ever be able to leave jobs. Because how are we going to get them to work in the factories if they know that you can get 8% by investing your money? The, The most important thing they could teach you is how to invest, but they don't because... Why would they? They want you to be workers because you're part of the capitalist system. And I hate to come off like a bit Karl Marx and everything, but, and I, I, you know, I'm I'm a capitalist technically because I work for money. (laughs) Uh, But but I I do recognise that the system is flawed. It doesn't allow for workers or any human being to achieve their own goals. I think it was Noam Chomsky said, the Industrial Revolution was supposed to allow people to leave the factory floor and do what humans are good at, which is caring for other people, coming up with ideas, just thinking. And that's what machines were for. Once we could teach machines how to do what humans did, that, that, is, that was the dream, it, I think, around the 30s. What's happened is that they've got the robots and they are going to make careers obsolete. But what they're doing instead is blaming the workers for not having jobs that they have made obsolete. And and the workers that still remain are being told, oh, well, you need to work even harder because now you're actually competing with a robot. And if you're not as good as the robot, you're going to lose your job. But but ultimately, they're going to lose their jobs anyway. It's it, funny, I went to that um, v and exhibition, the one on robots, and you could put your job title into a machine and it would tell you how long you had before right. your job was obsolete. Unfortunately, journalism and art were the ones that were going to survive, ultimately, ah. because good. robots aren't very good at that. But, yes. but things like accountancy, gone. Supermarket checkout, gone. every Everything you can do with a robot is gone in 10 years. So basically, jobs are, are just an invention. Money is an invention. I mean, this whole idea that, oh, you know, how are we going to pay off this massive debt after COVID? But the financial sector is an invention of humanity. You literally can print more money. And so this idea of like, oh, debt, and if you just gave everyone a universal basic income, you wouldn't need to bother about it. Then they found when they've done these, they have done tests on this in various countries, different UBIs in different places, every single one of them, Th- their, their fear was that people would become really lazy and wouldn't do anything. Who cares if you are anyway? That's not what life is. You know, This idea that we have to be constantly productive, is a, it came about in the Industrial Revolution. It's nothing to do with reality. So anyway, even the eight-hour day is an invention of Victorians. I, I just thought it was really interesting how everything that we think is true it's forced on us and it's not actually true. And the universal basic income was found, actually. People created more businesses and what they did was they gave up work because they were supported and they could care for elderly parents. So all the things that they're freaking out about now, which is, yes. oh God, the care sector and everything, all these things would basically be taken care of if people didn't have to do this constant slog. That, so, that so, er- so ends today's sermon.
0: What you said about experiences, it totally resonated with me, and I think that's just why I started this podcast in the first place. I just wanted people to share their experience because everyone's experience is valid, and you can learn from other people's stories. And the joy of art and sharing your art and what you do, because I mean, you're—I mean, we've not even touched the surface. Like your artwork alone, like the stuff that I've seen of yours is amazing. Like all your paper cutting is just so exquisite, so intricate. It's amazing. I just think sharing that with the world is the best gift that you can give yourself, but also other people.
1: Yeah, I mean, the paper cuts that people are familiar with tend to be the political ones. Yes. And, and I guess that's why I wanted to use this beautiful medium to talk about ugly things, because it draws people in. Paper cutting in particular has kind of a folksy rep. And so I wanted to take it away from kind of the butterflies and the lovers kissing kind of yeah, 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 paper cut things uh-huh. and to say something important to me. So, uh, you know, a lot of them are about the way we treat refugees. They're about the way we treat poor people. And, and so they're, they're, I guess, well, everything I do is just about the things I'm interested in. And, and that is, will organically come out through your art. You can't, you can't not do it. I, it was funny. I once had a gallerist say to me, you really like your stuff and would not want you to tone it down in any way, but could you not do so many, you know, things about like Trump being a Nazi? Could you? Could you not? <laughs> I looked over her shoulder in this gallery we were in and there was a picture of an allotment and I thought, I'll give you some floors. And so the next thing I sent into them was of these beautiful, even if I say so myself, <laughs> paper sculpture of roses. But the thorns were going right through the roses. And it's called, This is What One in Four Looks Like. And it's about women being raped. Because I just, I literally just couldn't do the allotment picture, where it means nothing, makes you feel nothing, but it's just some flowers.
0: You know, if you've got the opportunity to put your work in a gallery surely that's the opportunity to be your, yourself, to be the truest form where the, you're, these are things that are important to me I'm putting my best mm. work, the things that make my soul sing, the, the things that make me upset about the world Like, surely that's your opportunity to speak to the world. Y- you would think
1: it, it's just like most galleries are not interested in that, they actually do just want pictures of tulips they, I mean they, they claim that they don't but actually they do want they, they are afraid that they'll put off their punters with challenging political artworks. So they, I, I've actually stopped naming a lot of my work that I submit because if I just call it untitled, then it's a lot more likely to get a buyer. Whereas if I call it this is what one in four looks like, it doesn't get sold because it's just too upsetting for people. People don't want to be upset. They genuinely just want to, I, I, as an artist, find that quite depressing, but they, they don't want to be confronted. Buy anything; they just want to look at a sunset, which is fine, but it's not art, and it's not life. It's not life. Yeah, I've f- I've found it difficult. The RSA has taken my political work, but I think that's because they're a bit braver. But gen- in general, galleries are scared.
0: And You know, if you like pictures of tulips, that's fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you like sunsets, that's fine. Like, I, it's like that idea of like there's room for everybody. Like, just like, but you should be able to make the work that you want to make because. I would imagine there's someone out there that it'll, will resonate with, it will speak to and they will want, they, they will accept it and they will champion it just like they would, somebody else would, a, a beautiful sunset picture.
1: It's, it's, I think it's just harder to find those people. I think, yeah. uh, you know, uh, again, that's, that's why the market for that is in New York because in Britain, people are very scaredy. They're a bit keep, keep, keeping up with the Jones, Joneses and, you know, don't really want something to scare the Joneses <laughs> on your wall next time you have canopies. Uh, what's that vagina picture made out of a map of New York?
0: What? <laughs> again, it just goes back to that idea. Like I just think I just get the impression that you are like again I'm just gonna say that bravery word. Like it just seems to me that you are just unapologetically unap- you, which I, I think is refreshing. And you just say yes to things and you make it work. You make you make it happen. It's the graft, it's the blood, sweat and tears, whatever mm. it takes but you're you're living your life
1: well I've always thought uh, I've got a few key maxims in life one of them is you're a long time looking at the lid another one my friend gave me the other day which is we each have two lives the second one start uh, begins when we realize we only have one we only have one so just get on with it like I Fine, if you just want to watch Netflix and you're happy in your life, that is totally cool. I'm not saying everybody has to live on the edge like me. But um, I do think a lot of people are unhappy or they feel that life is just passing them by. And a lot of that is to do with that they're in a relationship of whatever kind and they feel that they can't go, go things alone especially women, feel that or they feel that they're letting people down if they are not there to serve and that's not true either. So I I feel that um, life begins at the edge of your comfort zone. Drops, Mike. Oh, boom, done. <laughs> done. I think the trouble comes, people get into a kind of rut where they, and everything is just, you know, flatlining, but they, they fear the unknown and i am here to say that the unknown isn't scary but the flat line is to me this last year of lockdown has been more terrifying than anything because it involves no opportunity it involves no humans <laughs> which i just need to survive and also a huge degree of ambiguity which i find ironically for such a risk taker i find really stressful and I think it's because the ambiguity is taken out of my hands usually because I do take a lot of risk the ambiguity is on me so that's fine but when the ambiguity is being controlled by somebody else I can't stand it I just you know not not being able to know that I can even fly that that kind of cap on our lives I have found incredibly distressing.
0: But the fact that you have launched a book in this worrying, you know, worrying terrible times that we in. You've done something productive. You've done something beautiful. You've made a thing that you can actually pick up and you can share with the world.
1: I did. And um, I did quite a lot of it in lockdown, mm. the, the first part. Uh, I'd, I'd done most of the, the writing Chris, at Christmas 2019. And then I, I did all the illustrations in the first six months. So that it was good to kind of get have, have a kind of project during those bleak okay. times, yeah, it's uh, the the UK launch isn't until June the twenty sixth, uh, June the twenty fourth. Okay. So it's only the U, the US version is out now, but you can pre-order. Well, on all good bookshops. We will be putting the link in the bio, of course. Boo! Fantastic, thank you. <laughs> I
0: wish you all the success with it, and um, I'm just excited. I mean, the fact that things are starting to move and we're starting to open up and you are you can see New York in the horizon yeah like I'm just excited to see what you're going to be up to next
1: well me too and it's that it's that you know that that is what gives me excitement is that not knowing it it feels like it feels like an adventure do you have time for the things
0: called the hingamajigs these are random questions that I like to hang me okay so I picked out a few for you today you obviously possess heaps of talents
1: but do you have any hidden talents that not many people know about i guess you know my superpower is actually doing up houses it's funny i'm selling my house just now and uh this happens every single time i sell up my house and i i do i buy and sell like every four years and so i've done it a lot and i grew up in a household where my mom and dad did it if it's something like three times in a year it was just meant i had that mental childhood of li- living in derelict houses so i've moved. Not including rentals, I think 27 times. So my superpower, I guess, is I make houses that people really want to live in. And every estate agent that comes in, every viewer that comes in, they all go, how do you make your house look like this? And I, I just always say, well, it's just because I love beauty. So everything that comes in here has to be beautiful. And I don't ever spend much money on it. I always go to auction rooms. Yeah. But I really have a good eye for beauty, and I put things together in a nice way that people seem to really like. Because every time I do sell a house, the people who buy always try and buy my stuff as well. <laughs> I love it. Always. You know, that's right. They're like, they don't get can I have, you know, black X And I'm like, no. They're like, no, they're coming with me. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> but they were like heirlooms. Like, no, you can't. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, all oh, that always happens. So I think that's my secret power. But I feel like I want to make you my mentor, and like <laughs> I think we can make that happen. <laughs> Thanks. It's not like I've got anything on at the moment. You know, I could totally just just a book, nah, just a book. <laughs> just a book. The whole moving house thing. I've got okay. I've, move, totally, move I've got low stress at the moment.
0: <laughs> I don't want to add to your stress. You? <laughs> oh. um, if you. Could be a fly on a wall in any beautiful space or not, yeah, as the case so. may be. What room would you be in?
1: I think I would probably go back to nineteen twenties New York. And I would not necessarily be at the cotton club, which was segregated and ghastly, but I would be in all the kind of well, funnily enough, all the jazz clubs were actually in like the fifties, fifties streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, then which is now horrendous it's like, all completely corporate so like billy holiday would like come off a shift go down there well not 20s sorry that would be like 40s 50s mm-hmm. but in the 20s you know you had f scott fitzgerald was knocking about and i i guess i i would probably want to I, I wouldn't even want to be a fly i would just want to be there but then you've got to think it's a bit like that um midnight in paris film by woody allen where you know The guy goes back in time and then realises that he 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 has a choice to live there permanently, and then he realises there's no penicillin or, like, Novocaine, and you really want to live in the Belle Epoque where you can get gangrene really easily. So, like, living in the past is actually just a fantasy, and it's also quite privileged because the past was always worse for minorities, always worse for women. I'd probably want to be a fly on the wall as a white man that's what I'd want to be. I'd love to see what it would be like to be a white man. Just go through life without having any sexual harassment. That would be great.
0: I feel like there's just been so many drop, drop the mic moments in this podcast. I can't, <laughs> can't quite take it all in. <laughs> and the last question that I ask everyone, because it's called The Broad and the Brave, is what is your favourite Scottish word and why? Or phrase. Scottish word or
1: phrase. I'll tell you what my favourite Scottish word is, is bag.
0: Well, I kind of refashioned uh, it to bra bag and you... bag. You, Boo Patterson, are the epitome That's of good. a bra bag You're a bra bag. <laughs> You are. In fact, when I get the the badges that I've been telling everybody that I'm going to get made, you, one is winging its way to New York for sure. That is funny. This has been a treat. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank I know you. It's a busy, busy time for you and I just wish you all the best. It's lovely to welcome you to
1: the Brave clan. Thank you, I've had such a, such a good laugh and uh, you've made me think a, bit, a lot about things not least bra bags Well, it's all that,
0: it's just those <laughs> ideas again they're important words, art and ideas so that's all we should be, focusing it on
1: Totally babes, drops mic Boom done
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave a podcast about people and their passions Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful
1: guests Bye for now.